I can say with all sincerity that it would be uh, just fine with me if we just continue to sing uh, the songs that have been singing these last several days. I, you can tell a lot about a person and a group of people in a local church by the songs they sing and the content of them. And uh, obviously this church loves the Lord, loves sound doctrine, and the glory of God is upheld here, the sovereignty of God as we've just sang. And it's a joy to sing with you. So thank you again for the privilege of being with you again once again tonight. Um, if you've been with us since Sunday morning, you know that on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and last evening, uh, our focus was on the issue of marriage. And we were hitting some heart principles of marriage, how to practice the gospel in marriage, all for the glory of God. The highest calling is to glorify God in our marriages. And that's what we've been doing the last several messages this morning or this evening we're going to transition uh and talk about parenting and uh two uh topics of parenting this evening we're going to focus in on parenting younger children talk about disciplining them and then tomorrow night is a message that's particularly near and dear to my heart which i call parenting in the red zone um, and I'll explain why I have that title for the message, but basically it, it zeroes in on the calling that we have as parents to not let off the throttle of our overt and active shepherding of our children, even when they reach the teen years and even into the early 20s if they're still under our roof or we have any level of influence with them. We don't parent our, our teenagers like toddlers. We, our, the, our parenting style, if you will, needs to adjust. We don't suffocate our older children, but we do shepherd them. And so I think that that's a great need, especially in our current cultural situation more than ever. Parents need to recognize that their parenting privilege and responsibility is not diminished. Uh, once the kids reach into high school and they're really on their own, they drive and they, they're pretty self-contained, they still need us. And so that's tomorrow night. But tonight, uh, I want to zero in specifically on this issue of disciplining children. And when I, when I thought about coming uh, for the conference and there was just a couple of nights where I could talk about parenting, it's like, boy, again, like marriage, it's kind of a, it's a target-rich environment. There's lots of things we could talk about in terms of parenting. I, I settled uh, on this topic with, with Pastor Rob's approval, the disciplining of children, because uh, personally I find that it is a topic that is much needed in our current uh, generation. Um, I don't know, I can't speak for past generations far back, but it seems to me in our current generation that uh, uh, the, dis the active discipline of children has kind of gone out of vogue. <laughs> it's not a very popular thing, and uh, I see a great need for it. Uh, not because it's, it gives me great delight as a, as a dad over the years of parenting our six kids that I just like to go around spanking all the time. Um, I didn't get a great thrill out of that. But I see the great necessity of it when it's understood biblically and it's done consistently. So I really, um, I sense a need. I don't know what the need is in your congregation here. Again, like other things I've said, this may be just simply review and affirmation of all that you're doing. And, and, and I hope by way of encouragement that would be the case. But I find that, um, that the issue of disciplining children is very misunderstood. It's, it's, it's prone to many labels and many accusations of abuse and, and uh, all kinds of crazy ideas when 
when there is a really a beautiful picture of, of the calling of parents to shepherd their children in multifaceted ways and certainly in the area of, of disciplining them. So that's why I've chosen the topic. Um, and I want to just share a couple of things before we dive into the content that's on your outline. By the way, again, I hope you grabbed an outline when you came in because a lot of what I'm going to say is on the outline and it'll help us keep our thoughts orderly. So if, even by way of my introductory comments, if you want to sneak back and grab an outline, if you don't have one, please do that. But a couple of things before I share. Uh, I want to be clear that my intent is to share some general principles on discipline and, and trust that God will give you wisdom in applying these principles in hundreds, thousands of specific scenarios with your little ones. It's, it's obviously impossible for me to cover every situation that we would face in our families. You're going to all have unique situations. And so my intent, as you'll see in the outline, is to give general principles that hopefully can guide us and the Lord can give us wisdom in applying them. Um, and secondly, I want to be clear that it is not my intention to imply uh, that disciplining children is a simple formula, um, that it's all simple, boxy, you know, black and white formula. And, and the reason I say that, and I want to give the, the caution that I'm not coming across, I don't want to come across that way, is because anytime you have an outline, especially on a topic like this, it can look like, oh, the speaker thinks if you do A, B, C happens. And, you know, there's a simple little equation, this little formula for parenting. Um, you'd only have to parent for about three months to figure out that parenting's not a formula. Um, there isn't a simple little black and white, one plus two equals three, and everything's just orderly that way. That's not the case. That said, there are biblical principles that we can take hold of, and with God's help, we can apply them. So we need much wisdom. I, over the years of, of uh, being a pastor, I've had parents come up when I, in settings like this where I teach or or a Sunday school class, or something like that on, that on family, and they, they always want, there's this, there's this cross-section of people that always want me to give them the answer for what to do with their specific situation. And uh, so many times, Maureen and I have said, you know, I don't know all the background. There's so many components going on here. Um, the number of children you have, the ages they are, the background, the personalities, the temperaments, and everything. And you want me to tell you what to do when this happens. Um, I, I, I hesitate to give direct counsel that way because there's so many variables. What I like to say is, you know, the teaching I've just given gives you some broad principles, biblical principles, and you get on your knees before God and ask him for wisdom and how those apply. Um, lest I try to play Holy Spirit and act like I know exactly what needs to happen in that, in that family situation because that's simply not the case. And the third thing before we dive into the outline is um, I just want to recognize and just acknowledge that I'm on thin ice uh, talking about disciplining of children. Um, it's not a very popular subject, as I said. I, uh, it's kind of touchy um, for some folks um, to share this truth. So I just want you to know that I will do my best to be balanced, to be gracious, and entrust that the Lord will apply these principles to you as, as he sees fit. 
Okay, so let's, with all of that introduction, let's go ahead and ask the Lord for his help as I speak and as you listen and as we interact on this vital subject. Heavenly Father, we humbly bow our hearts before you tonight as we talk about parenting and what an immense privilege it is to be parents, to be grandparents. What a daunting thing it is to, Lord. Thank you for the precious lives of the children you've been trusted to us to steward for you, Lord, and we need your help. And we recognize tonight, Lord, that parenting is multifaceted. There's all kinds of pieces to this puzzle, but this one's a big one, Lord. You're calling that we would faithfully discipline your children for their good, to do so in love, to do so consistently, to do so um, according to your word. And I pray that you would help us. Help me as I speak and help my friends as they listen. That, Lord, together we might be encouraged. That we might be refreshed. That we might be remotivated, perhaps. That we might be affirmed. Uh, that we might be convicted if need, need be. Lord, do your work that needs to be done in our hearts on this particular topic tonight. We humbly ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, on your outline, there are some opening comments before we dive into some very practical questions. First of all, at the top there, it says, Our ultimate goal in biblical parenting, including our discipline, is to lead our sons and daughters to personal, authentic faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Parenthood is the ultimate evangelism and discipleship position. So I just want to say that right from the outgo, I, I, get go. I could br actually bring a message. I have several messages on similar to Sunday morning when I talk about the ultimate design and purpose for marriage. The ultimate purpose for parenting is that we would lead our sons and daughters to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal the, of all of our hearts. Now the Lord in his sovereign wisdom may choose some unto salvation and not others. I don't, I'm, I'm not in control of that as a parent or as a grandparent. But in my heart, my, my highest goal is I might model the gospel and in every nook and cranny of opportunity to present the gospel to these little ones as they grow up with the prayer that God would regenerate their hearts and they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. There's no greater evangelism and discipleship position in the world than parenthood. The best pastor, the, the, the most stellar missionary, does not dwarf a mom and dad in the home witnessing and discipling their children. The second phrase there, our goal in discipline is not merely to produce compliant children. Biblical discipline is aimed at heart transformation, not mere behavior modification. Please grab that. That's tied together with reaching their hearts with the gospel. Our goal, and I need to be reminded of this in the, in the trenches of parenting as the little ones are growing up, I'm not just trying to keep my kids in line. When we talk about spanking, we're not just talking about trying to keep the kids in line. Just get them to act nice. Keep them from embarrassing me in the line at Costco. That's not the goal of parenting. I'm reaching their hearts. I want God to change them from the inside out. And consistently disciplining them is one piece of that puzzle 
in accomplishing that goal. I'm not just trying to get them to look good on the outside. We don't want to raise Pharisees. We want to raise genuine lovers of Jesus. So we're not just trying to keep them in line. Thirdly, there in your outline, biblical discipline involves far more than spanking our children. However, in this lesson, I will be using the term discipline in the very narrow sense of correcting disobedience and giving negative consequences to your child, that is, spanking and or the removal of privileges. I just want to be clear about that. Um, there's far more involved in the, the discipleship or discipline of children than corporal punishment or spanking, for sure. But this lesson tonight is zeroing in specifically on that issue of corporal punishment or consequences for misbehavior. So when I use the term discipline, I'm using it in a very narrow sense. It's a much broader sense of the term in the New Testament. I just want to acknowledge that. So, okay, let's dive in here. In this session, we're going to answer three important questions about disciplining children. Three questions. The first one is, why should we discipline our children? Why should we do this? And I'm going to give you seven reasons. And you could probably add seven more. Okay, It's impossible to be comprehensive on a topic such as this in one hour. But I'm going to give you seven reasons why I believe the Bible says we should discipline our children. Number one on your outline there is, God commands your children to obey you. That's why we should discipline. God commands your children to obey you, and you, as a parent, are commanded to discipline them when they don't obey. That's why. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Colossians 3.20, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So when your children disobey you, they are more importantly disobeying God. Why are we called to discipline them? Not because they're disobeying me primarily as a mom or a dad, but because they're disobeying God. And parents, mark this, parents undermine God's expectation when they allow their children to linger in disobedience. I'll remind you of a very basic truth. Disobeying God is a bad thing. Disobeying God is an unhealthy thing. Developing a pattern in my life of ignoring God, not listening to his voice, and not doing what he says is the path to destruction. So as a parent, I'm put in this wonderful position to break that pattern, to break that um, bent in my children, to be disobedient to me, thus being disobedient to God. So God commands them to obey me, him, And so, therefore, I take the responsibility of disciplining them. And um, a quote here. By the way, there's books on the table. One book that we don't have out there that I I would recommend. um, I limited the recommendations. But uh, Ted Tripp uh, wrote uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart. You're probably all familiar with that book. I think that's a very good book. and, and, And there's a great chapter or two in that book on this very subject. So 
Um, regarding the responsibility of parents to discipline, Tripp writes this. The rod is a responsibility. It is not the parent determining to punish. It is the parent determining to obey. It is the parent as God's representative undertaking on God's behalf what God has called him to do. He is not on his own errand, but fulfilling God's. Simply put, it's our responsibility. Our children are to obey us, and it's our responsibility to make sure they do, because that is the loving thing to do. That leads us to number two. The second reason why we discipline our children is it is the truly loving thing to do. And I don't know if that can be reiterated enough because the voice of the world is contrary to this, is it not? The world says, no, it's not loving to inflict pain on a child. And I'm going to say this probably 15 times tonight, but when I say inflict pain, I am not talking about injuring. I'm not talking about um, abuse. God forbid. There is child abuse in this world. It's horrific. We've had to deal with it in our congregation. It's a sad, tragic thing. We do not support, defend, promote abuse of children. But pain, the hurt of a spanking, we are all for. We're all for that. And it is truly the loving thing to do. Discipline is a rescue mission. I love this again from Tripp. He says, the rod is a rescue mission. The child who needs a spanking has become distanced from his parents through disobedience. The spanking is designed to rescue the child from continuing in his foolishness. If he continues, his doom is certain. Thus the parent, driven by love for the child, must use the rod. Proverbs 13, 24. He who withholds the rod, catch this, hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. God said that. Do not listen to the voice of the world that says, that is a cruel thing to spank a child, to inflict pain on a child. No, God says, he who loves the child disciplines him diligently. God disciplines his children because he loves them. We are disciplined by the Lord if we're true children of God. And the same is true of parents. We want our children to embrace Jesus and walk in the ways of Scripture. Therefore, we discipline them when they are disobeying and sinning because that is the way of death, and we don't want them to walk in that way. Hebrews chapter 12, by way of review, verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? But if you are dis- without discipline, of which we all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. 
but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God's discipline of us, his children, parallels that of parents to children in its goal. Quite frankly, is it raining? It rains in Wisconsin. Wow, look at that. Quite frankly, friends, some parents neglect consistent discipline because it's hard work. It takes a lot of time. It makes their children mad at them, at least temporarily. And a lot of parents, I find, want their children to be their friend before they want to be their parent. And I think that's something we need to be aware of. I rejoice that I have friendship, sweet friendship with all of my kids. And it, was, it didn't start just when they got, became teenagers and young adults. They were friends when they were younger. But my primary goal in their life was not to be their friend, but to be their parent. And when it comes to discipline, we have to decide, I'm going to accept this portion of my job description as a parent. I'm going to take it seriously, even when it makes me unpopular with my child. Parenting is not a popularity contest. Not at all. Okay, so we parent or we discipline because God commands our children to obey us and we are commanded to discipline them too. It is truly the loving thing to do. And number three, children are born sinners with foolishness bound up in their hearts. Discipline is one means of removing foolishness and training them in wisdom. Again, God said so. God said so. Children are born sinners, right? They're born with selfishness. They're, they're self-willed. They're, they're bent toward disobedience. They must be trained to obey. And biblical discipline is one important piece of that training. Ignoring their sin and disobedience is disobedience on our part and may bring disgrace upon God and disgrace upon us if left unchecked. Here's a powerful proverb. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. If we're not curbing disobedience and rebellion in our little ones, we are building ourselves up for the quite likelihood of a, of a young person, teenager, young adult, who disgraces God and brings shame upon us. That's the proverb. That's what it says. Children are born with foolishness bound up in their hearts. You probably have heard this before. This has been around for a long time. Well, actually, it's been around since 1926. I hold in my hands here what is called the Minnesota Crime Commission report of 1926. It's a secular document. Um, by the way, I was just texting my pastor friend who's from Minnesota, and I said, hey, Dave, um, 
Wisconsin is beautiful. And Dave says, oh, yeah, Wisconsin is a suburb of Minnesota, he said. That's what he said. He, he loves Minnesota. All right. But anyway, Minnesota Crime Report of 1926. Get it. Secular report. This is what it says. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy every want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist, end quote. Ugh. That's awful. That, and and that's, not, that's a, a secular thing. Uh, boy, how the times have changed. You would never read anything like that today. And perhaps a tad bit exaggerated, but you get the point. Let's get more biblical here. Again, I refer to, to uh, Ted Tripp and shepherding a child's heart. This is what he referred to, refers to as the nature of the problem with a child. What is the nature of a child's most basic need? If children are born ethically and morally neutral, then they do not need correction. They need direction. They do not need discipline. They need instruction. Now, certainly, children need instruction and direction. But is their most basic problem a lack of information? Are all the problems gone once they are able to learn a few things? Of course not. Children are not born morally and ethically neutral. The Bible teaches that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. The child's problem is not an information deficit. His problem is that he is a sinner. There are things within the heart of the sweetest little baby that, allow, that allowed to blossom and grow to fruition would bring about eventual destruction. The rod functions in this context. It, addresses, it, it is addressed to the needs within the child. These needs cannot be met by mere talk. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline will drive it from him. God says there is something wrong in the child's heart. Folly or foolishness is bound up in his heart. This folly must be removed, for it places the child at risk. When we speak of folly, we are not speaking of childishness. Children do childish things. They spill the milk at the breakfast table. If you have young children, you must plan on mopping up gallons of milk. They try to give their teddy bear a drink of their orange juice. We don't discipline for childishness, even when it is terribly inconvenient. Throughout the Proverbs, 
folly and foolishness is used to describe the person who has no fear of God. The fool is the one who will not hear reproof. The fool is one who will not submit to authority. The fool is one who mocks at the ways of God. The fool lacks the fear of the Lord. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool says, I refuse to acknowledge God. There is no God to be concerned with. My only concern is with myself and my own agenda. The fool's life is run by his desires and fears. That is what you hear from your young children. The most common phrases in the vocabulary of a three-year-old are, I want or I don't want. The fool lives out of the immediate, immediacy of his lusts, cravings, expectations, hopes, and fears. Tripp goes on to say, it is a question of authority. Will the child live under the authority of God and therefore the authority of his parents or under his own authority? driven by his wants and passions. This is a natural state of our children. It may be subtly hidden beneath a, a, a tuft of ruffled hair. It may be imperceptible in the smile of a baby. In their natural state, however, your children have hearts of folly. Therefore, they resist correction. They resist, they protest against your attempt to rule them. Watch a baby struggle against a diaper change or wearing a hat in the winter. Even this baby who cannot articulate or even conceptualize what he is doing shows a determination not to be ruled from without. This foolishness is bound up within his heart. Allowed to take root and grow for 14 or 15 years, it will produce a rebellious teenager who will not allow anyone to rule him. God has ordained the rod of discipline for this condition. The spanking process undertaken in a biblical manner drives foolishness from the heart of a child. Confrontation with the immediate and undeniably tactile sensation, I like that, the immediate tactile sensation of a spanking renders an impeccable child sweet. I have seen this principle hold true countless times. The young child who is refusing to be under authority is in a place of grave danger. The rod is given for this extremity. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Proverbs 23, 14. Your children's souls are in danger of death, spiritual death. Your task is to rescue your children from death. Faithful and timely use of the rod is the means of rescue. This places the rod in its proper setting. The use of the rod is not a matter of an angry parent venting his wrath upon a small helpless child. The use of the rod signifies a parent, a faithful parent, recognizing his child's dangerous state and employing a God-given remedy. The issue is not parental insistence on being obeyed. 
The issue is the child's need to be rescued from death. The death that results from rebellion left unchallenged in the heart. I'm sorry that was long, but I can't say it any better than Ted Tripp. That is excellent right there. That is the nature of the problem. Foolishness is bound up in that sweet. We have sweet little grandchildren. We love them. Boy, are they sinful. They are. Those cute little guys. But boy, they don't like to be told what to do. Now, some of them vary in compliance, right? They're all, children all comes in different sizes and shapes. Some of them are a little bit more compliant than the other. But all of them, as the scripture says, have foolishness bound up in their hearts. In the Bible, God's word says, the rod will drive it from them. The faithful, loving, consistent use of the rod. Number four, four reason why. Fourth reason why we would discipline them is it provides excellent opportunities to share the gospel with them. This is so, so good. Discipline scenarios are a great way to show them their need for Jesus Christ to forgive their sin and empower their future obedience. Galatians chapter 3 says that God's law is a tutor or a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So it should be with our correction and chastisement. We should always be pointing our children to Jesus Christ. In other words, our discipline should have a gospel focus. I really think that's important. This gets to heart again. We're not just trying to get compliance. We're not just trying to get outward conformity. We're not trying to just modify behavior. We're after heart transformation. The, the change that only God, by the Holy Spirit, His Spirit can work in a child to change them from the inside out. And those disobedience scenarios where you take the child aside and you say you've sinned, you've disobeyed, this is what you've done, and you need to be punished for that, you need to be chastised for that. That is a great opportunity to show them their sin and show them that the, the dis discipline that comes and the forgiveness that can be granted and the restoration that can happen and show them that there's power and tell them of Jesus. Now, just to be clear, when the children are really little, you can't like every time you're spanking like take 40 minutes to present the, the gospel to them and so on. It would be absurd. But as they're growing older, you take opportunities. Sometimes it's 10 second little snippets of gospel seed planted. And prayers had, love extended, where you're presenting Christ to them. And you do that over and over and over for weeks and months and years. What a great opportunity to present Jesus to them. We're not just doling out spankings, we're presenting Christ. Number four, or number five, fifth reason why we should discipline is it teaches children the divine principle of sowing and reaping. Is this not important? Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. God blesses obedience and he disciplines disobedience. This is a simple yet profound fact of life. And we must instruct our children in this principle. And praising and rewarding obedience and giving consequences for disobedience 
is a necessary part of that instruction. Biblical training rewards obedience, and it gives reasonable consequences, either chastisement or loss of privilege, for disobedience. That's what we're trying to do. And you know this. Life, life is going to deal with children who grow up into adults and choose to go against God. And the spankings of the world are way worse than the chastisement of a loving parent in childhood. We're trying to help our children to avoid harder spankings later on in life. Proverbs 13 again. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. Good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. In other words, disobedience, Jeffrey, Zachary, Titus, Jordan, Grant, Abigail, disobedience reaps hard consequences in life. Going against God's word is the path of difficulty. That is taught from cover to cover in the Bible. Proverbs 15, 19. The way of the lazy is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. I love that. It's easier to travel a smooth highway than to, to travel a rugged trail of disobedience to God's word. Why do we discipline our children? We want them to learn the pain of disobedience so that they would avoid it later on in life. Now, obviously, the highest motivation for obedience for us as children of God is love and gratefulness to God. But there are also other motivations for obedience, and that is to avoid the consequences of sin and to reap the reward in the uh, the blessing of obedience. Number six, sixth reason why we should be disciplining our children. Children who are trained to listen to and obey their parents are setting a good pattern and habit for listening to and obeying God, which is the biblical, the primary goal of biblical discipline, right? We want them to obey God. Proverbs chapter 4, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to their body. Parents, moms and dads, your children must learn how to pay close attention to your instruction. Children must learn to tune their ears to your voice and to your commands. We're responsible to train them in this because ultimately you are teaching them to listen to God and obey him for the rest of their lives, right? We have our children for maybe 18, 20 years perhaps under our roof. That's a small fraction of their entire life. The rest of their life, they're going to be living autonomously, on their own, outside of our control and supervision. When those, that little pocket of time we have at the beginning of their earthly sojourn, we're teaching them to listen to wise instruction. I'm not on a power trip as a parent. Oh, good, I got a bunch of little ones that I can control for 20 years, do what I want. No, I want to teach them, instruct them, guide them in the ways of life the ways of blessing, the ways of the word of God, that their lives could be rewarded and blessed and used for his glory. 
I want them to tune their ears to my voice because my voice is God's voice because my voice is guided by God's word. And I want them to get God's word. Children must be taught to listen. They must be taught to obey the voice of their parents, godly parents who are leading them in godly ways. That's what we're teaching them to do. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. Proverbs 15.5, Proverbs 10.8. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. Wow, those are powerful principles there. So why am I disciplining my children when they disobey and they don't listen? Ah, you're not learning. You're not, you're not on the path of developing the godly habit of listening to the Lord. It's a bad habit to listen to your own self or the world, the voices of the world. You need to listen to God. Last principle on my list, number seven, why we should discipline our children. Disobedient, unruly children will wear out parents. And just quite frankly, they're not fun to be around. This is, this is real fundamental here. Disobedient, unruly children will wear out parents. And they're not a joy to be around. I said earlier, it's hard work. It's hard work to be a consistent parent. In all realms of instruction and parenting and shepherding. And certainly in the realm of discipline, it takes a lot of work, energy. But I'll tell you what's even harder, what wears you out more, is a child that does not obey. Um, I don't know where Maury and I picked it up early on in our early years, I think even before we had Abigail and we just were learning how to be parents. But we're, we were taught this. You know, you need, you need to uh, teach your children to obey because it's going to be way hard if you grow if you raise a bunch of, of hooligans that are just running riot and doing their own thing and having no ear for your instructions. Um, and, and homeschooling's not for everybody, but we homeschooled our children. And I just look at how the whole homeschool, it would have been an impossibility to do without children who were taught to listen to the voice of their mother and do what they were supposed to do and knew the consequences if they didn't. Um, it's, just, it's just unruly. Um, we... You know, uh, from time to time, get invited over to people's houses. And when the you know little, little little curtain climbers, you know, you got age you know eight down to zero, and and uh, say when we leave, we don't want to be like you know the parent. You know, you come over at five, and at five forty-five, they're saying, "Boy, the night's getting long," you know, and they're hopefully you're going to go. You don't want to have that kind of response, right? Again, our children are not going to be perfect. They're they're kids, and they ought to be allowed to be kids. And as I said earlier, there's lots of childish that happens and silly things, and that's inconvenient. That's all fine. But I'm talking about, can I say this, bratty children that are not taught to obey. They're not taught to, who's in control. They, they use the sofa like it's a trampoline at somebody else's house. Or they're, they're, not, they're, not a, they're not being guided in basic uh, areas of respect for property and and they're over in the other room, and they're walloping on the little kid and stealing his teddy bear and all this stuff. You go, wow. Those things need to be dealt with. They need to be dealt with. 
They wear you out. I, I, see, old, I see parents of young teenagers just exhausted because of the disobedience of their children. When early on instruction could have gone a long way to curbing that, it's really hard emotionally. There's a lot of hard work, the nuts and bolts of tying shoes and wiping noses and cleaning up high chairs. There's a lot of logistical hard work when they're little. But I'll tell you what, as hard as that is, when you get older and you've got disobedient, unruly children, that hard logistical work gets replaced by hard heart work. Sadness of soul. Difficulty. Because early on, early on, earnest effort, intentional effort, purposeful effort to instruct and consistently, lovingly, faithfully chastise wasn't there. I was recently taught by an older gentleman. I, I, he has this little phrase he uses. He says it's, he calls it the just add 10 principle, just add 10 in the realm of parenting. And what he means by that is you look at the three-year-old and if they are not curbed, if they're not corrected, they're not chastised, add 10 years on to that three-year-old. You got a 13-year-old. What's that look like? They're stealing teddy bears at age three. They're stealing cars at age 13. So it's serious business. And um, right now in our culture, huh, you, I'm preaching to the choir here. We are so much in a culture, a world, that it just has nothing to do with authority. Nothing to do with respect. Honor of authority. They're going bombed with do what you want with no consequence. Oh, friends, we need to be all over this principle of proper shepherding, instruction, and loving, consistent discipline for the reasons I've stated here and a lot more. So I want to put a shot in your arm. For the sake of the glory of God and the generation coming up, these little ones that you have responsibility for, don't let off the throttle on this. It's very important. Okay. Let's get a little way into point number two and then we'll take a little break. When should we discipline our children? We talked about why, but when. And I'm going to have to pick up the, the pace because I'm a little bit behind here. So listen, listen fast <laughs> as I talk fast. I'm going to try to keep this as, as simple as possible for us. On your outline, I put, you should discipline your children when they disobey in action or attitude. Now catch the words here. Your reasonable and clear instructions, standards, expectation. When should we discipline our children? When they disobey in action or attitude. Your reasonable and clear instructions, standards, or expectations. 
Ted Tripp simply puts it, if your children have disobeyed, they need to be spanked. Here's a concise definition of obedience. Put it on your outline. Concise definition. Obedience is quickly doing what I am told with a happy and submissive spirit. This definition teaches prompt obedience, right actions, and a right attitude. All three pieces are important. If one piece is missing, they've disobeyed. So I put on your outline, train your children to obey you the first time. Now, all of this, the, all of parenting, <laughs> all of shepherding and discipleship, all, every nook and cranny of parenting is a, is a process that spans two decades, okay? This is not some little switch that goes off, oh, I'm going to teach my children to obey the first time. You know, flip that switch. Yeah, you work at this for years, okay? But teach them to obey the first time. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Ted Tripp again. He says, you inevitably train your children in obedience. Catch this. You inevitably train your children in obedience. You may train them to obey only after you've yelled, pleaded, or threatened. You may train them to obey only when they wish to. You may not train them to obey at all. Even that is a type of training in obedience. So I'm saying there's training and obedience that's going on in all of our homes. I'm saying let's train them to listen to our voice, tune themselves to our, our voice, and obey the first time. Parents undermine God's expectations when they allow children to linger in disobedience. As God's children, we do not have the prerogative to delay our obedience to his commands. Remember, we are ultimately training our children to obey God, not us. That's so important. There's so many good quotes here that I'm, I'm passing over in my... Um, on this whole thing of, of training uh, first-time obedience, Maury and I were counseled and discipled this way early on in years, I, in our parenting years, and I'm glad that we, we were. But sometimes there's, there's pushback on this. Um, I like, again, what uh, Ted Tripp says in Shepherding a Child's Heart. He says, some parents argue that it is a glory to overlook an offense as a justification for allowing some disobedience. They do not understand the issue. Obedience to parents is not a parent-child issue. If it were, the parent could be selective about when they wish to be obeyed. Obedience is not simply an issue between the, the parent and the child. It is an issue between the child and God, in which the parent is God's agent in drawing the child back within the circle of blessing. It is not a glory to overlook offenses of that sort. So it could be argued, just let the kids do what they want sometimes. You don't have to be consistent. They can obey you sometimes and other times don't. Just, it's just overlook it. That's not doing the child any favors at all. 
Don't say to your child, come here, please, and then begin to slowly count. Come here, please. Okay, I'm going to count to ten. One, two. Johnny keeps doing whatever he wants until gets to maybe nine or ten, and then if that doesn't work, then start yelling. That's not good parenting. If you do that, you're teaching them that they can delay their obedience to God. It's tolerating the child's natural tendency to disobey. Instead, explain that you expect them to come immediately when you call them the first time and call without counting and consistently spank them if they don't. Mark this. I put on your outline. Delayed obedience, partial obedience, or external obedience without the right attitude are all examples of disobedience. Don't expect, accept responses from your child like, Do I have to? I know. Right now? I'll do it later. Why should I do that? These are all expressions of disobedience. By the way, if you want a simple, good read on all of this, a relatively new book by Ginger Hubbard, it's out on your table here, Don't Make Me Count to Three. It is my go-to resource here in recent years on biblical discipline. It's a short, I'm a big fan of short books because I'm a very slow reader. Um, It's a short book, easy book, and what I like about this book is that it's just, it, it strikes what I call the sweet spot. In baseball, we talk about hitting the sweet spot on the bat, of the ball on the bat. This hits the sweet spot of biblical philosophy, if you will, theory and practicality. It's, it's really down to earth. It's, it's got the biblical theology of chastisement, but it's got the practical side to balance it out too very nicely. I love this book. This, I give this book to lots of our young parents. I think it's very balanced and loving and consistent, and, and it's just an encouraging book. So I just recommend that to you. On your outline, there's some, some uh, blanks to, to fill in here. Don't be a repeating parent. That's the first. Don't be a repeating parent. If you do that one more time, I'll... I'm telling you one last time. And you say that ten times. Uh, don't say, if you do it again, you will get a spanking. Why not now? How many times has your child heard you say that without following through? Did you give questions, fair questions? Did you give good instruction to them? Did the child hear and understand your instruction? The answers are yes, then follow through as promptly as possible. Otherwise, you will be training your child in intermittent obedience, inconsistent obedience. We don't want them to grow up with that habit in life with God. Again, this is a process They're not robots. They're not puppets. I'm not trying to imply that you have two weeks of this instruction and bing, not at all. But this is the standard. These are the principles. These are the governing principles we're trying to teach. I'm not going to be a repeating parent. When daddy said to do something, daddy said to pick up the toys. Jeffrey, did you hear? Pick up the Yes, daddy, I need to pick up the toys. Okay, I'm coming back in 10 minutes. I want the toys picked up. Come back if they're picked up. 
Jeffrey, way to go, boy. Out of kid. If he's not, Jeffrey, we need to go to the powder room and powder something. Huh? Here. <laughs> Get my drift. Second blank there. Don't be a threatening parent. Oh, don't do this. Oh, I, I've been around this. I don't feel it's so uncomfortable. Don't threaten your child with consequences you're unable or unwilling to implement. Don't make idle threats. For example, you're on vacation, the kids are fussing in the car, and you say, if you don't stop arguing, we're going to turn around and go home. That ain't going to happen. Now, now, maybe I shouldn't say that. Some of you are like the Grinch that stole Christmas, and so maybe you would. But you don't really mean that. You're just barking the threat in the backseat like, oh, we're not going to go to Disneyland. You're not going to do that. Don't, don't. Plus, you wouldn't punish the whole family. One, one of my six kids is being a brat, and the other five suffer for it. No. If you don't get in the car, we're going to leave you here. If you ever do that again, I'll ground you for a year. I had a friend. I had a friend growing up. I remember, I'm 58 years old. I can still remember this. His dad, we were out... <laughs> we were out digging a hole in his backyard. His dad came home. It's like he didn't want a hole in the backyard. He certainly didn't want a hole the size of Hogan's Heroes Tunnel, you know. And, and I remember his dad, he says, Mark, I'm going to ground you for seven years. Oh, wow, that was a, that was a threat. Yeah. Um, don't, be, don't be a threatening parent. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Just state it like it is. Be clear, be reasonable. Here's the expectations and follow through on them. Don't be a shouting parent. Shouting should be reserved for communicating from a distance. Don't be a shouting parent. It's disrespectful. We don't, do you shout at your friends? You yell at your friends? No. You shouldn't yell at your kids. Let's respect our children. Don't be a shouting parent. Don't be a bribing parent. If you'll be a good boy in the store... I'll buy you a candy bar at the checkout. Not. You need to understand the difference between a bribe and a reward. There are times we take all, we parade all the kids through the grocery store, and they didn't pull everything off the shelf. They acted, you know, like human beings, clothing in their right mind, get through. You know, you might give a little reward at the end. But you didn't start it with this way. Hey, if you'll spare me the embarrassment of acting like you're from some other planet, you know, at the end, they'll all be goodies. In plenteous proportions. No. Say, they're expected to obey. And you know what? On occasion, hey, you guys, that was a long trip through the grocery store. That took a long time. The line was long. You really, way to go and throw them a trinket or two, whatever. So, set the standard. Be reasonable. Be clear. Be age-appropriate and consistently disciplined to that standard. Those are very important words. Again, all these children you're dealing with, you maybe have one or two or three or four or five. You're, there's different ages, aptitudes, personalities. You're a student of every child. One size doesn't fit all. But in these areas, you're being very reasonable in your expectations. You're clear in explaining what needs to be done. Very kind, not being a despot, the bar so high the poor child can never jump it. No, that's not God and that shouldn't be us. 
We're very caring and purposeful. But we mean what we say and we say what we mean. And when you don't follow this, when you don't tune your ear here and you don't do what you've been told that is a good and reasonable command or expectation, you don't do that, you get the consequence. Because that's how God will deal with us. Because God loves us. He wants us to stay within the fences of his expectations for our good because he loves us. The, the commandments of God are loving fences around our lives. We're safe and secure and joyful in those fences. When we listen to his voice and stay there, we're rewarded and blessed in this life and the life to come. But when we go outside, it hurts. It's painful. Way more painful than any spanking any parent could ever give. So on your outline there, put our instruction and standards should be one, two things. First, reasonable, number one, and then we'll get here and clear. I've been hitting this already. Let me just run through it very quickly. Be reasonable. God's laws and requirements are always reasonable and truly for our good. God did not make up a bunch of laws to burden our lives. God isn't into dispensing mindless rules. As I said, God's laws are his loving fences, his loving limits for his glory and man's highest blessing. That should be true of our house rules. We all have house rules. Maybe you even have them written on the refrigerator. Some families do that. It's okay, but we all have house rules. Our house rules should be reasonable. They should have reasonable reasons behind them. Here are just three basic rules that I think would fit almost every family. I can't see why they wouldn't. Here's just three general family basic rules. One, it's a rule in our home that you obey mommy and daddy. Quickly doing what we are told with a happy and submissive spirit. Our kids could recite that before they were age four. All of them. They knew that that was the standard. We quickly do what we're told with a happy and submissive spirit. That's one of our family rules. Secondly, cleanliness and orderliness. Personal hygiene, grooming, putting things away, beds made, toys put away, healthy stewardship, safety. These are just good things. We're good stewards. Our, our children were taught that the couch was to sit on. It wasn't made for it to be a trampoline. We put a trampoline out in the yard for the trampoline. In the house, you sit on a couch. You don't swing from the chandelier. We have a rope that hangs from a tree out in the yard for that. We're good stewards. There's appropriateness inside taking care of things. Another general rule, third rule, respect for others. We're just going to be kind. We're going to be self-controlled. We're going to have good attitudes. God commands these things. These aren't just things we make up. These are just good biblical principles for, for family and relational harmony. In our house, we don't hit each other. And we don't say cutting remarks to each other. If you get say cutting remarks to each other, you're going to be disciplined for that. You're going to get chastised. You may lose some privileges. We were going to stand up and we're going to have family night tonight. We're going to watch uh, the Apple Dumpling Gang and eat popcorn. Well, guess what? You're going to bed at 6. Oh, tears flow. Yeah, but you know, the way you spoke to Zachary, that was so cruel and so unkind. We're not going to allow that. You know, you know the family rule. Okay, Daddy. Be reasonable. Consider, again, consider your child's ability and understanding. They are not the same as yours. He can't always do what you can. Again, this whole idea of being sure your expectations are age appropriate. I say that here because I see some parents that are, just, that are just on steroids with 
organization and structure and expectations, and they want their kids to be perfect. And, and so they got all this stuff. Man, that poor child is exasperated out of his mind. There's just so much expected of him. Oh, that's not our God to us. It shouldn't be us to our children. Be reasonable, age-appropriate. Allow a fair amount of time to do what you've asked. This is just an example. This depends on a child's age and their maturity level. For example, it, 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 you know, when the kids were younger, we teach them to make their bed. You, you know you how this stuff goes. You do the same thing. You know, but a 3-year-old doesn't make a bed as fast as a 10-year-old. And it certainly doesn't look as good when he's perfectly done. But you reward his effort. Oh, way to go. Good job. But if you, you come in the pillows on the windowsill and the blankets are on, he disobeyed. I can expect my three-year-old to so much, and I can expect a 12-year-old to do so much. Only give a child as much as instruction as they can digest. For example, please make your bed, put your shoes on, comb your hair, and come to breakfast. An eight-year-old may be able to handle all that string, a 10-year-old perhaps, but not the three-year-old. You're lucky to get the put your shoes on part again loving kind realistic expectation be patient be merciful as you challenge your child to grow in diligence and responsibility focus more on their hard work and attitude than the task being accomplished this can help you to be reasonable in extra expectations whatever you do do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. That's what we're after. Whether the child is 3, 5, 6, 10, 12, older, hardly heart. We're after heart. Not perfect performance, but heart. Just a classic illustration. I love this. Like, silly. I'm a, I'm a nostalgic guy, right? And I just kind of look back, teaching the boys, each as they grow up, how to, how to mow the lawn. And uh, eventually, they got older, we had a lawn mowing business together, Squalicum Valley Mowers, we were called. Didn't ever make any money out, but we had a good time. And uh, I can remember just teaching the boys how to mow when they were getting five, six, seven years old. And you know how that goes. They mow the lawn, and it's like, and you go, good job. Because you could tell how earnest they were. You know, the, up pushing them off. And, you know, they're all, like, man, Jeffrey, stellar, man, way to go. And then I'd go out and fill in the blanks. You get the flavor of that? We're teaching our children to honor authority, to obey, to listen to the voice of the authority, ultimately to God. God is reasonable and kind. He's not an angry despot, but he has fences for us. He has expectations for us. We want to model that for our children. And when you step outside, you don't listen, you don't honor authority, you don't obey. I need to, because God tells me to, lovingly chastise you. And it's going to hurt. Because Jeffrey, someday, you do that with God, it's going to hurt worse. Life will discipline you. And I want you to face that. I want you to glorify God with your life and be blessed in your life. I hope you get the spirit of this. Not a, I'm 
got everything in line. These are, you know, kids are going to look like ten soldiers, and boy, they'll never, ever do anything out of line. They'll never disobey. They'll never embarrass me in public. That's not what we're after. Quickly clear, and then we're going to take a quick break, and then, man, I'm telling you, the second part is going to be like seven minutes long. So, clear. So making sure your children understand your expectations. Um, both the parent and child must clearly understand the requirements. This is a good thing. Are you, when, you're, when you're interacting with children, are you giving them a command or making a suggestion? This is very practical. You need to make that clear. Are you giving command or a suggestion? Why is that so important? Because we must discipline our children for not obeying command, commands, but we don't discipline them for suggestions that are not acted upon. For example, one of my son's name is Jordan. Jordan, uh, please set the table for dinner. That's a command. Please set the table. A suggestion would be, hey, Jordan, it'd be nice if someone set the table for dinner. Chances are Jordan is going to do that. <laughs> so mean what you say and say what you mean. Be a clear communicator. If you have a reasonable, clear command, you must be ready to spank your child if it's not obeyed. You must clearly communicate in specific expectations and make sure that they understand them. Clean your room. You may need to define, more specifically, depending on age, what clean your room means. Does clean your room mean dust? Straighten up? Vacuum? Rearrange the sock drawer? Paint the ceiling? What does it mean? I mean, make sure you define clearly what you're asking. Again, the children must learn to pay close attention to your instruction, must tune your ear to your voice and your commands. Two things, and then we're going to take our five-minute break, and then we're going to have a five-minute closing. I have two suggestions to ensure that your children have heard your instructions and understand them. You might consider this. Require them to respond to your instructions with Yes, Mommy, or Yes, Daddy. This is what we did with our kids. Again, you can put my initials next to it. If you don't want to do this, it's fine. This isn't a biblical mandate. But we want to make sure the children hear it. So we just, they just learn. They just grew up. When we give some, Yes, Mommy, Yes, Daddy. Okay, I understood. They. And the second thing, depending on the complexity of what you're being asked, you might ask them to repeat the instruction. This can prevent misunderstandings. Say, if I said, you know, Jeffrey, I want you to clean your room, and I'd really like you to make the bed and get the closet straightened up. It's kind of gnarly in there. Okay, Jeffrey, what would I like you to Daddy, you want me to make the bed and straighten up the closet? Good on, son. I'll be back in 15. Let's see how that goes. So having them respond, yes, Mommy, yes, Daddy, or perhaps responding and repeating your questions. All right. Let's just break here. Let's take five minutes tonight. I'm literally going to bring it in for a five-minute la- landing out there. We'll just go ahead and grab something, and then we'll, we'll bring this in for a close.
Okay, let's, uh, if, if we would, please uh, take your seat here for these next few moments. Thank you. Sorry for, if I was a coach, I would be uh, like fired for poor clock management here. Again. So quickly, there are two basic forms of discipline I put on your outline there. We've been talking about spankings, and I would say those are primarily for younger children. Sometimes it's asked, how old uh, do you start or do you stop spanking? Like, is there a certain age? I, I think that's a big-time wisdom issue. Um, ask Pastor Rob, and he can answer the question for you. Um, when the pages. Um, but primarily spankings for younger children, loss of privilege uh, mainly for older children, but there would be loss of privilege for younger children too. But those are the two major forms, uh, earlier bedtime, loss of a special snack, time with the family, uh, bike riding toys, certain things that might not be able to do for a reasonable amount of time. Remember, the, the, the consequences that fit the crime were all about reasonable and fair and kind and loving in these things. But... Uh, one thing I would say in your outline there, the discipline is only effective in the blank when it hurts. Discipline is only effective when it hurts, whether we're talking spanking or loss of privilege. It should hurt. And I want to be clear again, not injure. Shouldn't be bruising or bleeding or causing injury, but it should hurt. I, you could put my initials next to this. If you, whatever. I wouldn't even waste my time on a spanking that didn't really sting. If it's not going to sting, don't bother, because I think it's a joke, and the kids learn it's a joke. So I used to practice. We had this little piece of leather flexible thing that we used for our, our spanking, and I practice on myself. <laughs> okay, there's, ah, you know. I, I'm weird, okay? I told you. I told, I told you right up front I'm weird. I did that because I, two things. I didn't want to injure them, but I want to make sure this thing hurts. And the kids would tell you, I'd rather be spanked by mom than dad. Okay? Not that you were a weakling, but I mean, it was true. I mean, I want this to be painful because the consequences of life's disobedience is painful. I'm going to go over those, those how should we do it. And I'm just going to read it real quick. I'm going to say this. Uh, I'm looking out here, and, and quite a few of you are my age or older, so you're likely grandparents. What do you do as grandparents in all of this stuff? Mainly my, my role, Maureen and I feel our role is to support what our kids are doing. And our six kids are growing up now, they're raising their little ones, and I think, I think they're doing a, a really nice job. They don't do it exactly as I would. We've been in scenarios where I would have done it differently how they handled it. Um, but that's not my business, quite frankly. My business is to love them, support them, pray for them, be in their corner, help them. Um, I, we would not, even if my, our kids gave us permission to spank our grandchildren, we would not do it. That's Steve Ballvance, okay? That may not be your rule. I'm not spanking. I'm doing all the other things I'm saying here, all the other instruction, all the other things that we can possibly do, e including loss of privilege, like our older ones. They, they've had loss of privilege at Grandma and Grandpa's house when they've disobeyed. But I'm not, I'm not doing the discipline. I'm not doing the corporal punishment thing. You, I'll leave that between you and the Lord. But grandparents, we have a great opportunity. 
I mean, I, I kid about grandparenting being easier. It is easier. It's less work. But you know what? It's real serious. I care immensely for the lives of my little ones in the world they're growing up in. And I want them to learn the things I'm talking about here. I want them to learn authority. I want them to learn obedience. I want them to see the blessing of obeying God. And I want them to see the consequences of not and what will happen to them if they don't. So I take, I take my grandparenting role as serious as ever, as much as I did my parenting role. And I, I see a bunch of faithful grandparent-looking people out here, and I'm sure you're the same way. Okay, lastly, this number three, how should we discipline? I'm just going to read my notes, and we're going to be done, okay? Just going to read this. And just because I was trying to be cute, I alliterated here. They're all letter C, okay? Uh, C, calmly. First, number one, calmly. That's how we should discipline. Never chastise your child in anger. That is dangerous both physically and spiritually. James 1.20, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. It is hypocrisy to deal with your child's sin in a sinful manner. When, and not if, you do so, repent before them and sincerely seek their forgiveness. There were times over the years where I didn't discipline calmly. And I needed to repent quickly, thoroughly, asking for forgiveness. Okay? So we need to discipline in love and calmly. Number two, carefully, carefully. A spanking should not should hurt, but it should never injure your child. Spanking is not child abuse. Biblically balanced discipline never physically endangers a child. I want to shout that from the housetops. We should not hurt children. Third, consistently, a commitment to biblical chastise your child. A commitment to biblically chastise your child preempts lazy parenting. Spanking only when it's convenient. Or the, the parents said, I've had enough, and then they spank. That's cultural spanking. I've had it up to here. There's a philosophy in the world right now. Who's the best parent? The one that can put up with the most. Boy, that guy can put up with a lot. That's not good parenting at all. Be consistent. You don't just, okay, I've had enough. Now I'm going to... That is just plain foolishness. Number four, communicatively. We should discipline communicatively. You need to talk to your child when administering discipline. Explain clearly to them why you are spanking them. They should have opportunity to express themselves. They should have opportunity to ask for forgiveness. Chastisement should always be used as an, appropriate, as an opportunity to, to teach your child, children a lesson about life, obedience and disobedience, helping them avoid worse spankings later in life. Most importantly, explaining to them their need for Jesus Christ, for his forgiveness of their sin, and that he's a merciful God to give them power over their sin. So discipline, friends, is redemptive. The chastisement's redemptive. It's restorative. It's not this angry outburst and ugly. No, I love you. You're over my knee. It's going to hurt. Ah, it did hurt. I, this is why we're doing this. Fifth, compassionately. Compassionately. An opportunity to express love for your child. God's disciplines those he loves. We also discipline our children because we love them, not because we're angry at them or against them. If your chastisement is cold or harsh, it is not biblical. 
cold, harsh discipline is not biblical. It is unpleasing to God. It needs to be repented of. Give a good hug, a good embrace after the chastisement has been administered. And lastly, because I'm trying to be illiterate, uh, alliteration here, close quarters, privately is a better word to put in there, but close quarters. Only sp- spanked in private, never in public. Biblical chastisement is not public humiliation. If you have company over, respectfully lead your child to, into the bedroom or another private, soundproof part of the house. If you're in public when they disobey, you're at the store, you're at church, wait until you get home. But, parent, be faithful to remember to follow through, even if the child is angelic in the back seat on the way home. And some of them will play you like a fiddle on that. But we don't forget what happened there. We're going home and administering the discipline. So follow through. So calmly, carefully, consistently, communicatively, compassionately, privately. Our time is gone. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray you would have mercy on us as your children tonight as we've talked about this topic and my friends have listened. I would would humbly ask that whatever principles were needed and helpful, accurate to your word, um, I pray that those would stick with my friends. If something of, of, of the nature of chaff and imbalance, not helpful, not useful, not applicable, would you please let amnesia come over their hearts and let them forget it? But Lord, it is our sincere desire to love your children, your children, not ours, primarily yours, that you've given to them, to us as a stewardship. Help us to faithfully shepherd them in every dimension, including this issue of chastisement, of biblical discipline. Lord, help us to be consistent. And when we fall off, and we all do, Many, many times over the years, when we don't get it right, and we don't get it right, many, many, many times, help us, Lord, to repent and renew and restore and reboot and start again. So please help us, God. Thank you. Thank you for our time together tonight. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being such good listeners. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the evening.